Happy New Year everyone. I know we said we'd be finished for the series in December, but some events are just too big to miss. We're back in the bustling hub of the BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition at the RDS. And as you can probably hear, the place is packed. Right now, I'm looking through the studio window at hundreds of students all interested in what we're up to. So I'll do my best to keep it focused. Like years past, so many of the projects fall into categories we cover on Ecolution. And we always like to do a whistle-stop tour around the stands to check them out. I'm Cormac. I'm Ivan. And I'm Michael. And we're from St. Kieran's College. So your project is about air-to-water heating. So we thought that air-to-water heating was very interesting because obviously climate change is a real problem for our society. So we decided that we wanted to do a project about this to hopefully spread information about it and maybe convince people to consider switching to a more sustainable heat source like air-to-water heating. There's very little emissions because there's no fuel, so it really cuts down on your carbon footprint. You can also add solar panels and they'll help you create your electricity and your heat in a more sustainable manner. So can you tell us a little bit how air-to-water heating works? It takes the air from outside and it compresses it and then it goes into water and it pumps it out into the house. So we're going through a cold snap in Ireland at the moment. Does this work as well in winter as it does in summer? It works the same because you can decide the temperature and it's very efficient compared to fossil fuels. How much uptake across Ireland has this heating taken on? It's becoming more of like a new thing in recent times but there's a big like initial cost of installing it into a home. But a lot of new houses now are getting it installed. Hi, my name's Eva. I'm Inez. And I'm Amy. We're from Clonakilty Community College. Our project is based on the air quality in our area and how the school traffic is damaging it. Our um, town has quite a few schools in the area. School drop-off and pick-up is quite busy times. So we wanted to see how the pollutions from traffic is affecting the air quality. We wanted to inform everyone about the damage it does to our environment and our own health as well. So we set up an experiment outside our school where we set up carbon dioxide, oxygen and particulate matter monitors and we measured it for a week and then we also did it on the weekends to compare. From our results we could see that there was an increase in the pollutants and that the oxygen decreased. I think this project will promote people to maybe walk to school or take buses or start carpooling to school because they might see the damage it's doing to our environment and their own health as well. My name's Aideen Farrell and I'm in fourth year. My name's Kieran Farrell and I'm in third year. We go to St Peter's in Passage West. We took a trip up to Harpers Island just to go somewhere and we found it very interesting about all the birds being there and how they roost and that there were so many of them and we kind of just wanted to find out more about it. So a lot of water birds, they stand on one leg to keep the other leg nice and warm and they also tuck their bills in under their feathers to keep their bills warm as well because obviously there's no feathers in their legs or their beaks. So we were trying to figure out if weather affects like how often they do this. So we were monitoring like weather conditions such as um, temperature, wind speed and precipitation. And we also counted the birds at a place called Harper's Island Wetlands, which is near us. And we were like counting the birds and then recorded the weather conditions and then we analysed it to get our results. For certain bird species definitely it definitely affects it, especially black-headed gulls. Like in colder temperatures they do stand on one leg more. But it was kind of the opposite for some species, so maybe they do it for like, maybe they rely on different ones, like other than standing on one leg to conserve heat. My name's Amy. And my name's Emer. And we're from St. Mary's College in Wicklow. 
So your project is about a problem that most teenagers have, which is deodorant. So we wanted to try and prove that our deodorant is better for the environment and for our health than a deodorant filled with chemicals is. So we made our own natural homemade deodorant. We carried out a test on six volunteers. So what actually goes into the deodorant you guys make? It has shea butter, coconut oil, beeswax, baking soda, arrowroot, flour starch, lavender and tea tree and other essential oils. And how does the deodorant work? The baking soda is used as a way to prevent smells and shea butter and coconut oil are used as moisturisers and UV protectants and the different types of essential oils have different antimicrobial purposes. The current deodorant we all use has many chemicals in it like triclosan. We put it on our bodies and it runs off into our water systems and it gets into the water systems. And the packaging is mostly plastics but in our deodorant we have um, glass bottles so we can use them instead. And how effective was it in the end? What were the results? Compared to our, the other deodorants we tested, so again, spray and a roll-on deodorant, ours was the most effective out of our tests. It's very easy to make as well at home, so it's a good alternative and it's a lot cheaper than normal deodorants as well. I'm Alex. I'm Leah. And I'm Daniel, and we're from St Paul's Community College in Waterford. So your topic is all about solar panels and how it could be great for our schools. We did our project on solar panels because we want to try to get solar panels for our school and hopefully like surrounding schools. We want to try to slow down climate change before it's too late. So what did you find out from this project and how easy do you think it is to be put into schools? We found out how much you could save from solar panels and... We also learned that you can get grants for houses and for schools as well now. So do you think this is definitely going to happen in your school or is it achievable? Yeah, our school recently applied for the grant that the government are doing, so we are getting in solar panels soon enough. We're not in school during the summer and that's when you make the most energy, so we'll be able to sell it back to the grid so we have more money to spend on other things. So how often do you think students think about where the power in their classrooms comes from? I mean, I'd say not often, you know, you'd be like turning on the lights, you like walk out of the classroom, leave all the lights on. Our project is also to spread awareness about climate change. If we get solar panels for our school, then students will know what they are, maybe go home, tell their parents about it, and hopefully they get solar panels too. One theme that has definitely grown this year is projects in and around artificial intelligence and the internet. The time we spend on screens and what we see and do online are clearly weighing on all of us. So we thought that we'd gather a selection of the students we met here to discuss it. The big question is really what things, both good and bad, are happening online that affect what we hear about the climate crisis and what we can do about it too. So let's meet our guests. Can you each introduce yourselves, your school, and tell us what your project is about? We'll start with you, Kayla. I'm Kayla Joyce. I'm from Roscommon Community College. And my project is a group project about uh, the spread of misinformation online and how it mirrors the historical counterparts of propaganda. My name is Niall and I'm a student at Gwerkolostra Limni. My project aims to help people better understand companies' climate policies. My name's Aidan. Me and Niall are working together. As we heard from you, Kayla, your project is about propaganda. Could you explain exactly what that is to our listeners? So propaganda is basically a fancy word for the spread of misinformation for some sort of gain. It's very similar to advertising, where you're sort of marketing an idea, specifically politically. And so we all know that we all spend a lot of time on social media. So how much do you think we should trust what we see on socials? I think that you should be sceptical about anything that you see on social media, especially if it's from a source that you might think that you can trust, because oftentimes those are the people that you should be watching out for most, even if they don't, like, say where they got their information. I know that your project isn't about climate change like directly, but in your opinion, 
How positive a tool do you think it can be in communicating information about the climate crisis? Incredibly, yeah, because a lot of people have super big platforms that they can use to talk about really important issues like the climate crisis or like even advertising and how that's changed over the years. And what things do you see as red flags in what we see online? Basically just like saying something without saying where you got it from or not providing any sort of backing for something that you're claiming. Especially if, let's say, they're trying to hide that they're being paid to say something specific. Thank you so much, Kayla. One thing we've discussed before is greenwashing and the way companies can pretend to be environmentally friendly in how they advertise themselves. But in reality, what they're doing behind the scenes is the very opposite. Aidan, you and Niall have been looking into how companies' promises match up to their actions. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've tried to do with your project? As part of our project, we have created a website called greenpolicydecoder.com. This website will contain summaries of companies' climate policies. What I mean by climate policies is their companies' climate-related achievements and goals for the future. Each summary will be short and sweet to make it easy for the person to read. They will contain third-party verified certifications to ensure that the company is in greenwashing. It would only contain the main points. The point of this is to allow readers to decide which company themselves is having a positive climate impact. Very interesting. So, Aidan, I'll come to you next. Why do you think companies sometimes make it hard for the public to really understand the climate policies? I think it can be beneficial for some companies uh, to keep the public in the dark because if the public know what the companies are doing, it's easier to hold them accountable. And Kayla, I'm just going to come back to you. Does the idea of saying one thing but actively doing the opposite fit with the findings on propaganda? Yeah, definitely. It's blatant disinformation to the public. It's just lying and promoting one thing while actively doing another, especially when it harms the people that are interested in supporting your cause. Very true. So, Niall, your project aims to clarify information that is hard to understand, making it easier for the public to really know how a company conducts its business. Do you think that more people know it's true about a company or a product, the more likely they are to buy that product? Well, there's also other factors at play. It sometimes doesn't matter how environmentally friendly you are, it also depends about your competitors. So the website will allow you competitors and so you the person will be able to see maybe whether Apple or Samsung is more sustainable and then they can make up their own mind. And Aidan, how sincere do you feel most companies you've studied are about making positive impacts based on the research you've conducted? I think a lot, there are a lot of companies that are sincere, but the majority are just doing it because it benefits them, which is kind of, it goes back to what you mentioned, like greenwashing. Companies greenwash just to sell products and it's hard to tell who's greenwashing and who isn't. So I'll ask all three of you one last question on the subject. How hopeful are you that in the near future we can see a world online that communicates truthfully? Kayla? I can only hope and pray that uh, there is going to be some sort of shift in the way that people are marketing ideas and concepts and that they'll see you know, the data and find that people do genuinely value ideas that are grounded in truth and are grounded in the person's genuine belief instead of a want for money or fame or something like that. I'm hopeful for the future because I think while there will always be misinformation, there are also measures that are coming out to counter it. For example, on X, they have like the ticks verifying that the information is correct. Hopefully, like we'll see more initiatives like this to help combat uh, misinformation.
I think it would be great if the world online would be totally truthful, but I don't think that is it will ever be. The only real way that we can kind of combat it is by fact-checking ourselves and making sure that we're all being honest. Brilliant, so many good answers. One tool that swept the planet in 2023 was ChatGPT, an AI system and app that answers questions, helps write reports, and has become one of the most popular sites on the internet. According to its founder, the site has about 100 million weekly users. There is no doubt that it is powerful, but in a time when we need to answer to the question, what we read online more and more, is it a tool for good or bad? I'm Eva. I'm Andrea. And we're from Clos Column Cork. So you did your project on how artificial intelligence can help with food sustainability. Could you tell us a little bit more about your project? So our project is based on an idea for an app that would help lessen food waste in the average Irish domestic household. The app would scan your food barcode and take the best before date and a few days prior to the best before date it would give you a notification and suggest a recipe to use that food in and it would also provide the ideal storage environment for your food to prolong shelf life. We made like a flow chart to represent it and how it would work. What are the main reasons that people throw their food out? They expire before they can use them and people were also saying they had no meal or recipe plan for the foods they have in their fridge. 69.2% of people said they throw out between 10 to 25% of their weekly food shop every week. So that's a lot. How open and accepting do you think people would be to this idea? While we were surveying the population, we found that most people thought it was a great idea and they said they would implement it into their day-to-day life. So why did you guys choose to look at a solution for an environmental problem such as food waste? We're always told that the future generation, it's our responsibility, so we decided we had to do something to fix it and you can't just keep saying we're going to do something and not try and come up with a solution. My name is Aristide. I am from Kloshnikiran, Roscommon, and my project is titled Is AI a Blessing or a Plague? I feel that AI is positive to bring equality in the world. I'll bring an example in education. In less privileged areas, you could have one teacher and a hundred students compared to us who have one teacher and 30 students in a classroom. AI could serve as a personal tutor for each of these students, giving them a personalized experience. In less privileged areas, they don't have as much resources, textbooks, as we do have. So AI could serve as a translator and translate these books into their own native language. AI, of course, can be quite biased. AI is trained on data from richer countries because the richer countries are investing more into AI and AI is being trained on their data. For that reason, if using the AI in a different region, you could get a completely wrong answer about climate change. Say, for example, I use ChatGPT to find out the climate crisis now. They would answer me something, of course, but it would always say, please check any important data because ChatGPT is a couldn't be always right. It is important that I don't trust it completely. I'm Henry. I'm Jamie. And I'm Connor. And we're from Gonzaga College. Our project is about are people able to tell the difference between an AR-generated text and text taken from a newspaper. We decided that a survey would be the best way to go about it. We had about five questions in our survey two of which were spot the difference questions. We had one paragraph from a newspaper and we made ChatGPT write a similar paragraph about the exact same topic. ChatGPT is basically, if you ask it any questions, it will answer your questions. Like Google, it can 
also translate words and it can write essays for you, etc. Uh, we were very shocked to find out at the end that only 53% of first or sixth years, uh, including teachers, were able to get the right answers to our questions. Oh, the older year group is actually better at identifying AI and people who use newspapers were able to recognise newspapers 100% of the time. Well, the data is fairly accurate considering it, it can access the internet up to uh, six months ago. If you were to ask ChatGPT about, say, a football game that happened the other day, it would try and make up details about what happened in the game, but it would have no real understanding about what happened in the game, who played, what the main events were, or what the score was. It would try and make up depending on whatever you've told it. Well, I use ChatGPT fairly often. If I ever need something but I don't really want to ask like an actual person, I'll just go on and ask the AI whatever I need, and they'll usually just tell me, and it's quite accurate. Yeah, I think it's good enough, especially for something that has access to the internet, which is absolutely full of just false information and bad people doing bad stuff. If it sounds like fairly right, I think I just trust it, but that might be wrong. The young people are the future, and if they don't know what's wrong and what's right on the internet, it, it could all fall to chaos. Well, for all that the internet can do to confuse and bamboozle, it also has the power to do good. And three students who would love to harness the power of an online app are with me now. Guys, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your project? Dara, what is EcoGames? So we've made a website with two games and a quiz, and it's tended to educate people about climate change and what things they can do to help reduce their own impact on the environment. And the idea is it's kind of a more fun and interactive way for people to learn than the usual teaching methods that are used in schools. Lachlan, can you tell us a bit about the games that you'd like to include and how they'd work? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a game called um, Sort Rubbish, which is basically to promote um, sustainable waste disposal. And basically what it is, is you kind of are given um, different items and you just have to choose uh, what bin to put it in. And I kind of you know, teach people where to put them then. We also have a second game called Eco Shopping. And in this game you have a basket and you catch different items of food. And in the game, you get a score based on the impact each food has on the environment. So it's to teach people to avoid foods that have a big impact on the environment. And then finally, we have a short quiz just about the causes and the effects of climate change. And we're hoping again in the future to add more games. Brilliant. And Aaron, I'm going to turn to you next. So where do you see your app being used? Our app can be used in schools by maybe primary or secondary students and maybe at home if you want to use it for just entertainment, if you're on your own, just to learn about climate change itself. So in what ways do you see technology helping us to be better informed about the climate crisis? I think it's a very powerful tool because like everyone nowadays, especially young people, all have some sort of technology. So it can be a very powerful tool for spreading information about how they should improve their lives to have less of an impact on the environment and to reduce their own emissions. And nothing? Yeah, no, I think technology, it's very accessible for many different age groups. You know, it's definitely more than any other forms of um, media or anything, so it's very useful that way. And where would you like to see eco-ed games in 10 years' time? Uh, we'd be hoping we can develop it further, maybe add more games about other topics related to climate change, and hopefully it can be used in schools throughout the country, maybe, to educate young people about climate change because we think it can be a more effective method of teaching because people can be more interested in playing a game than just regular listening to the teacher talk. So hopefully we can improve the game, make it look nicer, add more games, then send it out to other schools. Thank you all so much for coming in today. That's it for part one, but we'll be back with a whole other episode next week. One that moves away from the internet and into woods that we wish could be a whole lot more wild. Ecolution was presented by me, Evie Kenny, and is produced by Nikki Coughlin.